This is Binod Shankar. You're listening to the Real Finance Mentor podcast from the realfinancementor.com. The Real Finance Mentor is your go-to resource for insight and inspiration on careers in finance, CFA, and more. I would think, why this podcast? Well, my goal is to deliver insight and inspiration for your finance career by making it one relatable. This is not theoretical stuff. We zero in on the critical, practical issues. Number two, authentic. No bullshit. No sidestepping. The topics, guests, and questions are all from that perspective. And number three, take a chartered accountant and CFA charter holder. Add 17 plus years as a corporate warrior. Mix in 10 years of entrepreneurship. Throw in a decade of full-time CFA training. Add speaking, mentoring, cycling, and mountaineering, and that's me. Welcome to the Real Finance Mentor, or as I call it, RFM. Hi everyone. This is Binod uh, Shankar here with the Real Finance Mentor podcast. delivering insight and inspiration for your finance careers um we've got a special guest today who's going to speak about uh, various matters regarding career and uh, tips for youngsters i'm going to introduce today uh, kethki sharma who is the founder and ceo of algorithm research a bespoke analytics and research firm based out of the uae uh, which has been part of the y combinator startup school as well as a winner of various regional entrepreneurship awards Uh, Kethik is also a senior economist who's been tracking the MENA and India markets for over a region or over a, over a decade. Prior to founding Algorithm Research, she was involved in setting up the research desks from scratch at two of the leading banks in the UAE, and has also worked with numerous securities as India economist in Mumbai. Kethik has a sovereign rating background, having worked with Standard and Poor's as a rating analyst covering the MENA EMEA region. uh so welcome kethki to the show thanks so much binod for having me i'm really excited thank you i'm going to sort of start with a curveball of a question right um i mean what do you towards what i shall call the dismal signs of economics well you know so, so economics is something that is so relevant to everyone's daily lives right so um i think the relevance part of it the the aspect of its utility to your improving your daily life improving your financial aspects so for instance understanding personal finance has a lot to do with understanding of economics so the interconnectedness of the two streams i think that got me really interested to begin with and then of course the fact that you can you can actually forecast consumer behavior you can understand mass trends i think those things got me really into economics so uh, so i wouldn't call economics science i would call it social science because it studies people and um, science tends to be exact whereas social science is never an exact science and it's because different people have different preferences right so when you have different preferences there cannot be an exact yes or no so is it is is cold weather what is cold weather and is it good for us that's a very personal choice right so that just as just as you can't have a specific answer to something similarly you can't like have a specific solution for everyone that's why like like economics is not an exact science so i love that part of it whether where you know it's not exact but still it does a pretty good job of solving a lot of 
problems uh, in the financial world. So, so I think those things are very attractive to me. Interesting. I've also gone through your profile and I noticed that you've picked up Python and uh, AI related skills, right? You apply these at work, you mentioned to me a few days ago, the recent example being the Saudi Arabia report. So I've got two questions for you here. Why is learning these so important these days? Now, how did you learn this? Okay, that's an interesting question. So I think the world is increasingly moving towards tapping that immense amount of data that is available digitally. So, um, so back in, like, say, early 2000s, we had adopted this um, Excel-based modeling techniques, right? And back then, we would rely on, say, the company information that is released or, say, government data that is released to make forecasts. But in today's day and age, there is so much more data that's available on the internet through digital sources that relying on just these would be like, you know, leaving that, that immense amount of wealth on the table. So you've got to like tap into that set of information source as an important information source. And in order to do so, you've got to learn those skills. So for instance, you should, you should know basic programming skills. It's no longer optional to know it. I think it's more like a life skill. It's, it's like learning to cook. So you must learn how to code. It's like you're learning to, to use the computer. So, um, so I think those are skills that you've got to adapt to. It's no longer optional. So we've got to remember that it's no longer optional. You've got to learn it and the sooner the better. Uh, in terms of the next question as to where I got the skills from. So everything is available online. I learned these through the lockdown period uh, last year and uh, from this university called Georgia Tech. And the course was done by this amazing professor called David Joyner. So I would, I would recommend this to all those who are uh, going to start from scratch and are confused about where to begin with. I think this, this course is the course for, for beginners in um, programming because the course is designed for absolutely new programmers. Interesting. Now, uh, most of the audience for this podcast, uh, Ketiki, are uh, young finance professionals, chartered accountants, MBAs, uh, CFA charter holders or CFA candidates. And a lot of them work in or aspire to work in credit or equity research, sell side or buy side. So yeah. how do they have skills and, and uh, you know, those, those courses that you mentioned, how exactly yeah. help a young finance professional um, break into or stand out in these uh, two areas of credit and equity research? Yeah, that's a great question. So that's, I mean, like I said, uh, equity research, the way it was done earlier was the DCF modeling, Excel-based modeling. Now um, that just taps into one specific data source and leaves this immense pool of data available digitally. So I think it's very important now. In fact, that's the way to stand out. Everyone has been doing Excel-based modeling. Everyone knows the DCF. Every single person has been doing it for decades. What is it that you bring to the table? 
How do you stand out? So if you know how to program, if you know how to so, you know, tap into big data, if you know how to do basic statistics, you are much better prepared to face the future finance industry. So you've got to learn these skills ASAP. So I would say that um, what we so, so far, what we are seeing with with the fourth industrial revolution is that quickly things are getting digitized, everything. In fact, a lot of finance jobs have been eaten away by digitization. So um, in this day and age, you've got to know how do you make sense of the equity markets and, and cycles have become shorter, right? So uh, there is much more happening and there's a lot of data to process it, and everything is interconnected. It's, it's globally, everything is interconnected. So you can't just you know, study the impact of something like monetary policy in your country in isolation you've got to link it up with multiple things happening across the globe, which wasn't the case 20 years ago, you know? So it's, the world is far more interconnected. Impact of monetary policy in the US or impact of fiscal policy in the US can be felt everywhere in the world. And therefore those should be built into the model. And there is data lying out there on the internet that should become a part of the model for you to have a better, you know, better recommendation for your client. I'm going to sort of ask a follow-up question on that because uh, to segue from what you mentioned about data, Ketki, because, uh, and this is an important application related question. So, so you have a young finance professional who's got a CFA or a CA and, you know, suppose he learns, has learned coding and, he knows his you know, financial concepts and economics and accounting and things like that. But then right. what you are basically hinting at without mentioning is things like non-traditional sources of data, you know, uh, high frequency data. So we have this question. So I have a couple of questions for you. And, and of course, I appreciate that you, know, uh, you can't go into great detail. But where do you get this data? How do you know about the quality and integrity of this data? How do you clean up the data? Uh, and what I'm trying to say is there's a huge uh, process to be followed between identifying the data and finally getting it to in front of your client uh, for decision-making purposes. So broadly speaking, what is the thinking around this and how should somebody think around this? I've heard words being tossed around like commercial acumen, uh, apart from the basic skills like data analysis and Excel and programming. So where does this leave this finance professional? What does he need to know? apart from just the skills that we mentioned? So uh, the first part about the credibility of data, you know, so let's let's address that first. So for instance, if it, so, so you are taking your data from say Google, right? Is that a credible source? Yes. So similarly from YouTube, from Twitter, from Instagram. So all this analysis is say based on the, the most, the, the IT giants, right? So from Facebook, Instagram, Google, YouTube, and your analysis is based on real consumer interaction with posts, for instance, right? So these are actually revealed preferences. 
these are the preferences of consumers that they have um, said out of their own accord and they haven't really like been asked in a survey as to what their opinion is where they have to care about being politically correct or you know pretending to be something here they are their actual selves or liking a comment so so when we are talking about taking data we are not talking about taking data from some random site we have no idea about we're talking about taking data from twitter from instagram from facebook from all these tech giants it's 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 like trusting the company that has released their their data right so if you can release uh, if you can if you can trust the data released by say say png on their perf performance for the year you can trust this as well so so i think i think um this these these are these are credible sources and that's where most of your analysis would be based out of so these are big data sources and you take data from from these established firms and you analyze this data. You don't present your client with the data dump. It's a data dump. If you, if you give it to your client, it's a data dump. You analyze this data for the questions you want answers to. So you basically look at it, analyze it, and you know you should, and that's where the whole thing is to develop the skills to handle this kind of data, which is, which is big data and be able to clean it, be able to analyze it, be able to perform st statistical operations on it, be able to read what it means. So, so all these skills, so you can no longer be just a finance professional or an economist. You've got to be a programmer. You've got to be a statistician. You've got to, you've got to be a bit of a data scientist. So the world probably needs more of generalists not like generalist managers right like generalists with skills with with more than soft skills so um so that's what i mean when i say that you've got to build on these skills i like it when uh, you economist i think you have this unique ability to capture complex psychological phenomenon in a few words so i like to have phrased revealed preferences Yes, that's a very popular economics jargon, and uh, and it is it is what it is. It is what it is exactly. Now I want to talk about and uh, go on, go on a little bit of a you know, um, different track here, and talk about uh, something that uh, members in the audience, especially women, uh, would like to hear, and that is in your experience, Ketaki, what are the challenges? Uh, specific to a woman in finance or in economics that you think exist and during your own journey both corporate and entrepreneurial how did you tackle this uh, that's an interesting question but a very often I mean I, I think it's a it's a frequently asked question um, I would say that the challenges faced by any woman professional any any professional, especially a woman, are pretty much the same at the boardroom level as they are at the household level. So, so it's not like that's a new thing that you are facing. So for me, I think the main question to be, I mean, we've, 
the whole world has discussed so much of this that what are the what are the issues that you face i think we've talked about the issues but we don't we hardly ever talk about how we can solve them i mean i would say that um that as as a woman we have a lot of power in the sense that we can alter how we behave and how we raise our children at a household level right and that means preparing preparing your kids for the future and when i say kids i mean kids both boys and girls so while we are preparing our daughters to take on responsibility of running a, a household financially we have to prepare our sons to take on responsi responsibility of the family much more than they are doing it now so uh, there's a lot of um i think we can change things in a big way through how we raise our children so that 20 years from now it it will be a very different scene we don't have we won't have to ask this question anymore it is different it is it is harder and i think we are probably because we've been seeing it from childhood sometimes we don't really you know we don't really see it we don't really feel it as much i think um what really helps would be to be um able to just go on without worrying too much about what it is maybe i'm a i'm a woman maybe that's why i'm being differentiated or discriminated against so so i think the the point here is that the solution to the problem is to alter or alter how we raise our children both boys and girls and and i think having a solutions minded approach to it would be more helpful than to just generally talk about the problem because i mean everyone is talking about it but not doing anything about it mm. so so i think i think having that solution in mind would be i mean that's my solution to the problem yeah so i, I understand the mindset ketiki and i understand your answer but i still you have still haven't given the answer how did you tackle this specifically i mean what was your what was your approach at various stages because you must have you would have encountered situations um uh, for uh, uh, yeah, like i said binod um hmm. so when you when you see issue when you are faced with a certain set of issues from uh, from your childhood so if there's discrimination it just doesn't pop up when you are a professional it's being you face those issues growing up like if you get excellent marks in in school you know that you know i mean we oh wow you know you've done well you know without the kind of support that maybe maybe a son would have right or say oh you know like how how the society is like they would probably be um oh you've done well you're too intelligent for a girl you know those kind of comments you you've heard them before so i think you get um you develop that thick skin you no longer hear it <laughs> so that has really helped me like i know i know i've heard this before but that's their problem not mine you know interesting so that that's exactly the answer i was looking for so i think the answer i found is probably to capture in one word is um, resilience probably yes but right. we women are extremely resilient right so uh, that is about you know your 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 experience as as uh, as a woman and as an economist 
Let's talk about what prompted you to leave the corporate world and start on your own, because that's, especially in this region, quite unusual where most expats come here on a two or three or five year contract, try to save some money and either go back home or head west to Australia or Canada or immigrate, whatever. But you are probably an outlier in the sense of having attempted entrepreneurship. So what was the trigger? I think multiple triggers. So of course, I think there was this deep, deep desire to start a business someday. That was like a childhood dream. But I think what triggered it, that the timing in terms of timing was the fact that I had given birth. I was a you know, new mom and I was commuting from Dubai to Abu Dhabi every single day. And I was sleep deprived and overworked. And it was, it was that deadly combination where I had to just take a call on what I wanted to do with my life, whether to, to you know, kill myself or to give it a go and see and, and you know, start something of my own. I, had, I was involved in setting up the research desk at two banks already. So I had done something similar with my last two jobs. So I thought maybe if I were to start a research desk of my own in this country, it may work. And I had built that network of clients and I thought I could tap into those. And yeah, I, I, just, I just decided to take that leap of faith. It wasn't as calculated as it may sound right now, but um, back then I just wanted to do it because it, it felt like the right opportunity to do so. So, so yeah, it was a massive leap of faith. It wasn't easy. And then it, it is more difficult, especially when you've worked for eight, nine years at, in a corporate job, it's harder because you have developed that employee mindset, which is very different from an entrepreneurial mindset, right? So, so it was unlearning and learning a lot of other new skills. So it, it has taken its, uh, its time. And, uh, and today, in fact, coincidentally, we are five years old as an organization. And, um, and I mean, I told myself, I'll give myself two years. If it works, we'll go ahead. If it doesn't, I'll just look for a job and, you know, that'll be it. So five years down the line, still going strong, touch wood. <laughs> you mentioned something very interesting. I was listening carefully to you. Uh, about the difference between the employee mindset and the entrepreneurial mindset. Mm -hmm. I want to dig a little bit into that because quite a few of my former students, ex-colleagues, friends are probably in their thirties and forties and for lack of a better word, stuck in their career at VP or director or senior manager level in a bureaucratic organization where they can't really be authentic or free or make an impact. And they would love to start their own business but of course there are hurdles. So can you please tell me more in detail of what you have experienced as the critical differences between an employee mindset and entrepreneurial mindset? That's a great question, Vinod. Actually, that's a really deep question. So I would, um, so when I say developing an entrepreneurial mindset, I don't necessarily mean that you've got to be an entrepreneur to 
develop that mindset. In fact, you can do very well. I mean, if you develop it as an employee in certain roles, it can it can be of great help even as an employee. So so I would say an employee and an, an entrepreneurial mindset is one wherein you are open to new ideas. You are you have a very open minded approach to solving problems and then going all for it, you know. So if you suppose someone, someone you've had an interaction with someone who's who's narrating their way of solving a particular problem and you and that's an, an insight, right? That's a novel way of thinking for you. You somehow decide to experiment it and then you don't have the skills, right? So you decide either to hire or you get like more team members within the organization to help you implement it or you develop those skills on your own and implement and have the and, and have the necessary power in place you know have the necessary authority in place in the organization to do so so i think to be able to do this you don't have to necessarily quit your job no way i'm not at all recommending that what i'm trying to say is that by you could be working anywhere. You could be working for yourself. You could be working for an, another organization, but you could still have an entrepreneurial mindset. And which means that being open to new ideas, being open to experiment and being okay with failure, you know, because failure helps you learn and pivot. I mean, you view failure as some, as a learning point and you learn that and you change, you pivot. So, uh, okay, this doesn't work. Maybe this will, but you keep going on. You don't stop. So, so that's the, the mindset that I'm talking about. Hmm. Now, of course, you mentioned you've completed five years uh, in, in business, so congratulations. Um, you have, you have, you have long, you're long past your two-year milestone. So I think you're well on the way to entrepreneurship success, if not already there. Um, tell us, I think you've already mentioned a few points, but regardless, tell me more about, and I'll be more specific, tell me more about the top three factors for that success that you've achieved with algorithm research. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. So I think it'll be about being open-minded, right? I, I think that was... So, so I was just a researcher. So I was into research from the very beginning. I was trained to do things a certain way, think in a certain way, and you know, present our findings in a certain way. When you're on your own, you don't have a brand to support you. And when you're working with a brand, a big brand, you don't realize the power that it gives you, right? You don't realize how it strengthens your voice as an analyst. And when you decide to set up on your own, that's when you realize that um, you are no longer the brand, you are a person who has to build that brand to be able to convince people to listen to you. Why should someone listen to you and not to say an economist at, at say a leading firm? So, so you, I mean, those were the things that, that, you know, you start with. So I think one of the first things I realized was 
that you can't take anything for granted and you've got to like work from scratch be ready behave be like like a novice like you don't you can't treat yourself like oh i'm an eco- i was an economist with such and such place i have worked with such and such organizations well good for you but i mean what do you bring to the table how are you different what is special about you where, where is your niche why should we listen to you so you ultimately it's going to be your work that speaks for itself and therefore you've got to make yourself your work stand out and make itself heard right it should be that good and that's where i talk about you know upskilling coming up with things that no one else is doing right now and it's it's very new to the region like what the kind of research that we are producing is very new to the region so so i think that has the fact that we are ready to experiment fail repeat and improvise and repeat and we've been doing that for 5 years and uh, and i think that helps that helps a lot yes the combination of many things as always like you said right um, i love that phrase again which you mentioned the fact that when you are analyst working with a renowned brand you just don't realize the influence that brand has on the strength of your voice as an analyst right you, you i think you yes. hit the nail on the head uh and stepping out and setting up a brand from scratch is quite a challenge now yeah. you must have had quite a lot of ups and downs right not just in your entrepreneurship career and building a brand but going back you know uh, in your corporate career as well like most people yeah uh, and 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 a lot of the audience are youngsters they have gone through that or they will go through those issues uh, in corporate Uh, and some of them struggle to keep themselves motivated right and sometimes they drop out or they fall behind how did you keep yourself motivated and stay focused what are the specific strategies that you used uh, and probably with a, with a focus on your corporate life uh, specifically sure so i think the passion for the subject so firstly i just love economics and doing what you love helps you keep motivated right so so i think it's important to do what you believe in it's important to do what you love and that helps with the motivation there is no real secret recipe there but i think overall in general um everything is interrelated so your emotional well-being your physical well-being your spiritual well-being all these are interconnected and i think having a a more um you can't be just doing one thing you can't be like just your job just your job title you've got to be much more as a person you've got to be like a curious person wanting to know more so for instance um if you are someone who is into photography you could do that i mean that can provide that necessary channel for for say your for emotional well-being you you tend to find that peace when you when you are taking photographs or maybe editing photographs so i think um so i have many interests so for instance like i paint i've I, i ski i do yoga i swim i have learned to play golf and and these are not like so apart from painting which i've been doing since i was a kid a lot of these 
are skills that I picked up over the years. So every year I pick up a new skill. And last year it was golf. So I started with golf and, and then I tend to carry on, pursue it further. So I think when you take on, when you learn something new or when you are constantly challenging yourself in any field, it kind of in a strange way gives you, gives you that perspective to, to find out your way or maybe, you know, to discover a new path in what you are trying, you know, what you are trying to do in say your professional life. So for instance, there were, there were a while learning new things such as while learning to play golf, there was this important skill that I learned. Like I have never been a sports person really, but last year when I started playing golf and we, we tend to like have these partners. So two of us play in a team. I just realized how important it is to have a team member with complementary skill sets. So you are completely relying on them for certain shots and they are completely relying on me for certain shots. So you've got to get your part right in order to win the game. Right. So, so those, those are small insights that you basically find doing something and then you say, Oh, but this is relevant for me, even as an entrepreneur. And this is so relevant for me in, in life in general. And, uh, and it's just, just that, you know, you, apart from the fact that you are venting out your, you know, whatever the stress in your muscles, etc. It's, it's, it's releasing. You're also learning things that you would have not learned otherwise. So, so I think having like a multi-dimensional personality or having like multiple interests is, is important because it helps you in whatever you are doing. It takes you further in every stream, essentially. Yeah, I suppose that also covers uh, what I was thinking in terms of, you know, hobbies or the importance of hobbies and, yeah. and the importance of having a proper work-life balance uh, and the impact of that on, on physical and mental wellness. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, of course, the three things, um, at least three things, let's put it this way, that struck me about you in the long conversation we had uh, last week and this conversation is that you, you come out as uh, remarkably confident, articulate and engaging. Now, these are traits that you don't normally see um, especially I have not seen that in many of my uh, community of uh, finance professionals, young finance professionals and fresh graduates who often struggle to demonstrate these traits of being confident, articulate, engaging, and hence lose out at you know, interviews, group discussions, job opportunities, presentations, you name it, right? Uh, and, and that's not limited to just youngsters you see that all the way to people in the 30s and 40s. So what I'm very curious to know about and what you could share with us is, how did you develop these? Do you recall how this came about? I mean, surely part of it is genetic, but part of it is also upbringing and part of it is also what you have done to yourself, I suppose, in terms of self-development. Yeah, well, um, so first, thank you. Thank you for all those lovely compliments. <laughs> it's, it's nice because, um, you know, when you have that imposter syndrome, you don't really, you, you're constantly doubting yourself. 
But um, what I can say is that there are two ways. I've heard lo a lot of people saying that fake it till you make it, mm. but it doesn't work for me. Like I can't fake it till I make it. And especially in my line of work, I don't think you should do it because you know, it's so easily, it's, it's, you know, you just read the report and it's easy to get, you know, catch that. So you can't really do that. In fact, it, it is counterproductive because you lose that credibility. Mm. So for me, it was, it wasn't at all like that. For me, it was more like doing things that I loved and then just being, just, just trying to upscale, be the best in the, in whatever I decide to take and give it that time because it doesn't, nothing happens overnight. Be patient, but be persistent. I think that really helped. And um, yeah, I mean, I know that for a lot of people and in a lot of professions, fake it till you make it works. And I mean, you've got to try it for yourself. So if that works for you, you should definitely do it. But if you think that by being, by, you know, for you, if you're genuinely good, if you're like training to be good, if you're persistent, I think that helps in building that confidence that, oh no, I know this, I know, I know how to do this, I know how to implement this, something that my counterparts would not be able to do. So being good at your work helps you become more confident. And I mean, generally being being happy also, to, you know, helps you being become more confident. So whatever makes you happy, what whatever makes you feel fulfilled, I think you should try and do more of that. Did you have mentors at various stages of your career who probably pointed in the right direction or sort of groomed you or helped you develop yourself? Do you recall in such instance? I think so, yes. So uh, in my working career, so I wouldn't say, I wouldn't, I don't think I would go to them and say that they were my mentors, mentors, but I've learned a lot from them. I mean, we, I mean, there was not a formal mentor-mentee relationship, but um, I would always tap into some of my bosses uh, in, during my corporate career who really helped me through you know leading by example was 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 really really important in my career so uh, there were two of my bosses who were incredibly incredibly articulate incredibly good at their jobs so both had different plus points one was very articulate the other was so diligent so perseverant that you know she just shone she just outshone uh, everyone so she was so i've learned different things from different bosses of mine and i think those were actually my mentors and um, i i know that these days they have these in the corporate world where you have like this mentor mentee thing um, but i wasn't you know there was no formal agreement per se so the last question. Sure. Right. Uh, so of course now we've run out of time, and I, I wish we could go on uh, for a long lot more and ask you more questions and explore your fascinating journey as economist and corporate warrior and entrepreneur. But I must ask you, like I ask all my podcast guests, right? What are your three top tips for youngsters on education and career, based on your own experience? So number one is read, read and read. So there's no shortcut there. You've got to read all the amazing books out there. 
and there are plenty depending on what is your what are your interests so if you're interested in something and you want to excel there are no shortcuts you've got mm -hmm. to read those books there's a wealth of information wealth of knowledge out there that's so easily it's so well documented it's right there for you so i think number one is to read read and read and number two would be to like so if you have role models it's so easy to access them now in you know in this day and age youtube is there for everyone it's for free so if you want to say if you're inspired by warren buffett you can any day go and look look him up on youtube listen to his talks listen to his most recent talks so for instance if you're someone who's looking for uh, tips on say financial markets you look it up look him up look up your you know heroes and just just go ahead listen to them so having those great i mean greats having those professionals so accessible to us is a blessing and it's free of cost what could be better so go ahead listen to them and third i would say is for all those young guys and girls there go and intern so if you think if you are wondering what it means to be say a data scientist stop wondering start acting go there take up an internship learn it if you're wondering what it means to be an analyst apply to all these positions globally everyone today is working virtually so say you're in india and you want to work with someone in the us it's possible today go and apply there to any firm you want to go to all these websites use linkedin use angel list go and apply talk to people and get that internship know what it is to be a data scientist know what it is to be an equity researcher and then take a call we did not have this option when we were their age but that's that's the opportunity you have and make the most of it so i think I think being aware of that opportunity is important and then making the most of it is 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 equally important. So I think those are my top 3 tips. All right, thank you so much Kethiki. Um thank you so much Ik, for sparing the time um uh, for today's interview. I'm so glad I connected with you, you know, a few weeks ago. Um never knew that uh, it would come to today and and a very interesting and insightful interview hopefully for for the listeners. I think uh, it's quite impressive what you've achieved both in corporate career and your entrepreneurship and and you know to have a young female indian entrepreneur succeeding in the region is i think a matter of not just pride but also hopefully should lead to introspection and inspiration for youngsters who want to go down that path if they wish to do so um and know that you know probably you are your own limitation and uh, yeah. quite a few useful tips in this podcast ketiki thank you so much once again and i wish you the thank best so much, of yourself thank and algorithm so research over the next few years and hopefully i'll see more of your reports on linkedin uh, saudi arabia was uh, previously and now turkey next and then uh, what next i don't know <laughs> thanks so much binod it's been an absolute pleasure i have been seeing your posts on linkedin and even though we were you know first level connections we did not really connect but i i was i mean i would follow your posts pretty regularly and impressive stuff 
great stuff yeah. that you're you know yeah. bringing out for the kids out there we didn't have it when we were growing up so you're doing a lot of good work we know keep it up and thanks so much for your time today thanks so much for this opportunity thanks kitki class is brought to you by the real finance mentor thank you so much for listening and i really hope you found it insightful and inspirational if you did enjoy this episode please drop us a review and spread the word and we should check out more exclusive content on the realfinancementor.com and my linkedin profile which is binod shankar cfa let's keep in touch just add your name to the mailing list on the realfinancementor.com and we'll tell you about new episodes plus book reviews upcoming events and blogs till the next time onwards and upwards